0: Hey, this is Brian Myers, a.k.a. WWE Superstar Kurt Hawkins. And I'm Matt Cardona, a.k.a. WWE Superstar Zack Ryder. And uh, we really like wrestling action figures. It's more like an obsession. So much so that uh, we started a podcast. Yeah, the Major Wrestling Figure Podcast. Download and listen every single Friday, wherever you find your podcast. And yeah, you're going to love this show. And Brian... You don't have to lose every week. Well, Matt, you're actually booked on this show, so enjoy.
1: Today's episode of Something to Wrestle With is brought to you by our friends at SaveWithBruce.com. And Bruce, who am I kidding? That's not our friends. That's me and you, man. What would Dusty say about saving some money by getting out of that old cramped apartment and getting into a brand new house with no money down?
0: He said, baby, why is it ever time that you go and you pay that rent. It's, 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 it's just flush your money down the toilet. If you're going to flush your money down the toilet, by the way, give it to me. But better yet, you might as well pay yourself. Get a home where your payment goes to something that you actually can keep. And it's saved with fruit, That's what we do. Even if you got a lot of debt, you got like a car payment, you got a bunch of credit cards all leaped up in there. Let's consolidate that with your mortgage into one, low, low, low monthly payment. Save money at savewithbruce.com.
1: That's exactly right. You don't need perfect credit. You don't need money out of your pocket. But if you're in a 30-year loan, if you've got a second mortgage, if you've got credit card debt, it's not a matter of if we can save you money. It's a matter of how much, and it's free to find out right now. But maybe best of all, if you're throwing your money away on rent, Let's give your family a home with the help from First Family. Check it out right now at SaveWithBruce.com. That's SaveWithBruce.com. NMLS a NMLS number 65084 equal housing lender. Hey hey, it's Conrad Thompson and you're listening to something to wrestle
0: with. Bruce Pritchard. Bruce, what's going on, man? How are you? Oh, uh, well Conrad, I've had a very frustrating uh technical week, but I'm absolutely I'm um, I'm wonderful, man. Got I- how can you not be great? Well,
1: I, uh, I need to take you to task right at the
0: top of the show. Well, you know what? Go right the fuck ahead. Everybody else is.
1: Technically, by the time you're listening to this, I am at my bachelor party and Bruce Pritchard is not there.
0: Yes. And, um, I'm sorry. I, I- apologize for that because I had planned on making your bachelor party and um, and as you look on here, you can see one of the things that is going to happen to me, uh, right about if you're listening to this on Friday, probably right about the time that you're listening to it, I'll be having some minor surgical procedures and shit done, but, but uh, I would much rather be with you, but instead
1: you're going to be doing a dirty dozen with Dave Silva in Nashville. So instead on of Saturday, coming, instead of coming to my bachelor party, <laughs> You're gonna charge our listeners to have dinner with you, and and listen to old Vince McMahon stories and hear, hear your Jim Cornette burger order.
0: Conrad, I've got to I've got to give something back to the folks in Nashville, Tennessee, because we sold out like in about what three and a half minutes when we announced this show back I don't know three or four years ago. And I well, got to get back to some of the folks that aren't going to be able to join us on Sunday. So we
1: could have done a dirty dozen Sunday night and I could have joined you and it would have been glorious, but instead you're going in early and doing a dirty dozen the night before, instead of coming to my bachelor party, true or false.
0: I'm going in on the afternoon of Saturday. Yes. Into Nashville. I will be in minor surgery on uh, Friday.
1: Yeah, by minor surgery, guys, he means he's going to the walk-in clinic and uh, he's going to have like a wart removed or some shit. Anyway, if you'd like to do the Dirty Dozen in Nashville without me, find Dave Silva on Twitter. He is at Pritchard Show. He and uh, Dave Hancock are... At hey, hey social. If you haven't already checked into those guys, you should. They've helped us tremendously with all of our social media. And Dave Silva will be happy to take your money to eat dinner with Bruce Pritchard and hear some stories that we can't tell here on the podcast. And of course, on October 21st, we're back at it, man, at the world famous Kowloon Comedy Club. BrucePritchard.com has your ticket information there. And we're back in Los Angeles at the Regent Theater, as Bruce would say, on Saturday afternoon, November 17th. You don't have to pick. Do you want to go see the WWE show or do you want to see us? You can do both. Winston-Salem, North Carolina is where we'll be on November 24th. Lots of people are asking, are we coming to Cincinnati? No, we are not there for Starcade. We are at Wrestlecade, and that's where you need to be on Saturday, November 24th. Check it out. Winston-Salem, North Carolina. And I guess we should run down. We're going across the pond, Bruce. Tell them when
0: and where and how they can get tickets. Well, December 4th, we're going to be in Glasgow, Scotland. Here we come. And Belfast on December the 5th. December 6th, we're going to be in Birmingham. December 7th in London. December 8th in Bristol. And we're going to finish the tour off December 9th in Liverpool, England. Can't wait. And you get all that information over at Bruce. Pritchard.com.
1: Don't forget we're coming to see you in Phoenix, Arizona for the Royal Rumble at Stand Up Live. And we're also in Colorado Springs, Colorado. All these shows are on sale right now at BrucePritchard.com. But what you need is a little ageless male max that's going to help you boost your total testosterone and it's going to give you an amazing increase in your nitric oxide 64 percent and you can try a 30-day bottle for free all you've got to do is pay your shipping and handling and here's how you take advantage of this special offer just text the word slam that's s-l-a-m to 79 79 that's right your first bottle is free it's a 30-day supply just text the word slam The 79, 79, 79, Bruce, let's get into why we're really here. It's Breakdown from 1998. Here we are at the 20-year anniversary. But before we talk about that, I do want to circle back and ask, what was your feedback you got from last week? Unforgiven 2008. We haven't really talked a lot about 2008, but I thought last week was a bit of a sleeper episode. We got to talk about Freddie Prinze. We got the independent contractor debate. We talked about Ric Flair leaving lots of interesting sidebar stuff that I don't know when we would normally fit in
0: well it, first of all it was nice to do something from more current this was some of the most current stuff that we well that we've ever done because <laughs> it was really my last big pay-per-view there and uh, the other good thing about it was I enjoyed talking about Freddie Prince and and Freddie tweeted back and forth this week so it was always good to be in touch with him and contact i enjoyed the show i enjoyed the show because it the the podcast that is the pay-per-view itself was not the best pay-per-view in the world to have to go back and watch but for the most part i think everybody as you say was a sleeper and they were like holy shit we covered a lot of crap well and we're going to
1: cover some more crap today i, I watched a breakdown uh, from 1998 this week for the first time in 20 years Of course, it went down on September 27th at the Cops Coliseum in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. So yesterday was your 20-year anniversary of that one. This show did not interest me nearly as much as I imagined it would. I know that people think about 1998 as this golden era of the WWF. It does not age as well as I wanted it to. Um, It was okay, but I can't say I was necessarily blown away, but It blew away the readers of the Wrestling Observer. It got a 90.7% thumbs up, which I don't know. Maybe I was in a bad mood. What did you think of the show this week when you watched it for the first time in forever?
0: Well, um, I got to agree with you because I wasn't really that blown away with it after watching it. Just sitting there thinking, I liken it to a hurricane. And you know how like you have the dirty part of the hurricane on the outside that does a lot of damage, but it's just not that pretty that's what this show reminded me of. It was the dirty part of the hurricane when things were changing and there was a lot of, uh, change in the air and a lot of new stuff being taken place, but there wasn't a whole lot of firm direction and, and changes were in in, in the works.
1: Dude, did you just refer to a hurricane as pretty?
0: No, it's dirty. No, but you said it's not the pretty part. I said the show wasn't pretty. Yeah. Oh, okay. I was like, what? Well, I don't know what that is. Okay. Well, let's I talk. don't know of a pretty hurricane. Fuck those hurricanes. I hate them. Except for hurricane shame. Hell. What up with that?
1: Yeah. Okay. I was going to say maybe Dion Sanders or no, I guess he was Florida state. You know what I mean? So let's that talk, was, let's talk about, uh, you, you um, had me with that one, by the way. Oh, Congrats. I know. Yeah. I meant Michael Irvin. <laughs> I'm thinking Cowboys and I meant Michael Irvin, but then somehow <laughs> Dion Sanders came out and then I realized as I corrected it, fucking Bruce don't know. He played at Florida state. It doesn't matter. Yeah.
0: Um, yeah, Okay. <laughs> Oh yeah, old Neon Dion down yeah, there. Him. Yeah, him. Goddamn, you know, always liked it when he would get up to bat, and you know, <laughs> no, you know what's funny? He would...
1: You tried to fuck that up. Dion Sanders did play baseball. He was a two-sport oh, athlete. Man. So even your <laughs> joke there doesn't work. Uh, so let's ta- let's talk about it, man. You guys are on the heels of SummerSlam, which we've just recently covered. SummerSlam 1998. We saw you know a big show, but really the main event maybe not exactly what it could have been both steve austin and the undertaker were baby faces in that the undercard the match everybody was talking about though was triple h and the rock so let's get rolling here and i guess we should mention that uh right after and we did touch on this uh, a little bit on our SummerSlam episode you guys make your home shopping network debut and this seems like um something from the past for sure but hsn Used to be, and may still be quietly that I don't know about a powerhouse because you guys did like 10,000 calls on that show, grossing more than a quarter million dollars. About half of which is all Steve Austin shit, which is really just unbelievable. How critical was this concept to what you guys were doing? Because it brings a lot of attention to the home shopping network and it is a huge financial windfall whose idea was the home shopping network partnership as best you can tell.
0: Well, you know, it came from marketing, but it was something that had, we had had the relationship even going back to Barry Dodinsky a few years before that. Barry had come from the Home Shopping Network and the baseball card division there and collectibles. So we had that. And believe it or not, uh, Randy Savage had introduced me back in 1992 to the head of the Home Shopping Network. So we always knew about the strength of, of HSN. This was just an opportunity because we were red hot. Everything was flying off the shelves. You bring the merchandise and the attractive part of it to the home shopping network was we were bringing our audience there. So they thought that if we could introduce our audience to HSN, maybe they'll stay and realize, Hey, you got great deals on wrestling stuff. What else can I get great deals on? So it was a win-win for both people.
1: It was a win-win, and I know that it made a lot of people a lot of money, but one of the things that I found curious on the heels of SummerSlam is the WWF starts losing the ratings war again. I think most everybody remembers that the WWF gets their first win in 83 weeks when Steve Austin and Mr. McMahon headline in April of 98. But now here on the heels of SummerSlam, the scales start to tip more in WCW's favor. They do a six week win streak, but to be fair, two of those weeks you guys were preempted. But either way, four head to head wins. Are you concerned about creative or does anybody even care or pay attention? It probably felt like this untoppable monster when they're winning week in, week out. But now that you're sort of trading wins, does anybody start to get a little nervous when they see a streak develop for the other guys?
0: No, because we had such a streak. And while there may have been a aberration for a couple of weeks that's really all it was because they didn't have the abilities to sustain it they were losing in the live event business at the time things were on the downturn what was starting to go down for them was going up even more for us and a different model we we had a different model ours was all about house shows and pay-per-views and selling merchandise it wasn't so much about the tv product at the time yes it was all important yes we were all after that almighty dollar it was um just we had different models i think eric would tell you that as well
1: yeah no doubt about it i mean they were definitely a television company and we've been talking about that over at 83 weeks you guys are a more traditional wrestling company maybe the most at this point we should talk about How, even though you may got, you guys may be losing the the ratings war. You mentioned house show business. That's still a major line item for your bottom line. And you're doing record business on September 11th in Calgary You drew the biggest crowd in the history of pro wrestling in that city process. What I just said right there, Calgary historic wrestling town, September 11th, 1998 biggest crowd in history, more than 14,000 fans paid over $351,000 and that beat the old record from 1987 against, uh, King Kong Bundy. That was uh, Hogan's opponent that night. And they drew 12,034 fans. And then of course, I think a lot of people remember our Calgary stampede episode where we covered that July, 1997 pay-per-view that people still rave about. Well, they only did. Where can two- they hear that Conrad in the archives right now okay. at something wrestle.com <laughs> Uh, you've got $229,000 at the gate there. So, an incredible jump, even just one year later. And it, it is sort of interesting that Davy Boy Smith, who is under contract to WCW and left in interesting terms the year before, he's backstage at this show in Calgary. Does anybody take issue with Davy Boy being here, the way he left and him coming to visit, or do you even
0: recall? um no it was Davy boy and I think that Vince always kind of considered him family and he was always welcome backstage regardless where he was working
1: well that's good to hear Uh, I guess we should mention the next night they're in Seattle and they do 15,000 fans 302,000 dollars there another all-time record so Seattle's an all-time record Calgary's an all-time record They keep it going just so you get a a taste of what's going on here in Anaheim. The very next night, it's 257,000 bucks, over 10,000 fans paid. It's just unbelievable what you guys are able to pull through, including unbelievable numbers at the merchandise stand. That loop I just ran you through generated $391,000 American. So over seven bucks a head. You guys have got to feel like,
0: you know, fuck a rating. We're making money hand over fist. That was the attitude behind it. And it was getting bigger and bigger every time that we, every around every corner was a bigger milestone. So we just kept our head down. We were worrying about our own business. And when people say I didn't watch their stuff, we were too busy taking care of our own house. We didn't have time to look at what they were doing. And when the business is good and business is healthy and it's healthy for everyone, it's good for everyone. And it really doesn't, um, it doesn't matter. It's like right now, I think that the business is healthy and the business is good for everyone. So it's a good time to be in it. And in 1998, it was a good time to be in the business. I
1: do want to mention here too, that
0: this is,
1: um, an all time record. For the company through the month of August, that you guys had an average attendance for house shows, average attendance for house shows, 11,311 fans, which is unbelievable. Those are paying fans, by the way. The average gate is $210,779. It's an all time record for the promotion for a full month, for a full schedule, never been done before. Bruce, this is the hottest that wrestling's been in your entire career, right?
0: Well, man, you know, shit, we're talking about, you're talking about an average gate for one night. You know, we had average months like that in the past. So this was looking, looking every time and breaking more and more records and seeing as Randy Savage used to see more and more zeros at the end of the check, brother. It was, it was trailblaze, man. It was, it was a good time. Let's talk about where it was year over
1: year. September of 97, you guys were averaging 4,348 fans at your house show events. You're up 96.1% just one year later. You're at 8526. What does that mean dollar-wise? How about a 127% increase? You go from a $78,000 gate to a $178,000 gate. And you're selling out like 60% of your shows. Even your ratings are way up. In September of 97, your average cable rating was a 1.9. Here in September of 98, it's a 2.6. Ratings are up 36.8%. But if you're looking to get a cheaper percentage, then what you need to do is go visit our friends at Lightstream. Bruce, I've used Lightstream before. It is fast, it is easy. And if you've ever looked at your credit card statement and been shocked at the interest rate, I want you to know you can roll all that into one monthly payment and a lower fixed interest rate. You don't even have to have a mortgage. I know we talk about that all the time, but now Livestream can offer you a solution for a credit card consolidation loan where you can get a hookup here. 5.89% APR. As long as you use an auto pay that's lower than the average credit card interest rate, which is like more than 18%. Holy cow. And you can even get a loan from like five up to a hundred thousand dollars. And you get your funds as soon as the day you apply. Because Lightstream believes that people with good credit deserve a great interest rate and no fees. I bought a car this way several years ago, Bruce, and I thought, man, I want to negotiate like a cash buyer, but I don't want to tie off any of my cash. Let me just see what I can do over at Lightstream. I got an unbelievable interest rate. I couldn't believe it was that low. And they just overnighted me a check so i I strutted that ass into the dealer handed them the check got the keys to the car it was drafted out of my account 18 months later done it was the best easiest experience i've ever had buying a car
0: the biggest thing about it is how easy it is because you can go on instead of having to go into a bank and apply for a loan do all that it's right online and it is simple and a friend of ours just did it as well And they said back to me go man That was easy. It's almost too good to be true. They kept waiting for the other shoe to drop. And I said, no, man, it's the real deal. And it's easy, which is the best part for me.
1: I want to mention too, if you go to lightstream.com slash wrestle, I want to spell that out for you. It's L I G H T S T R E A M.com slash wrestle. You can even get a half percent discount when you select auto pay. So you're already going to get a great rate. But just because you're using lightstream.com slash wrestle, as long as your credit is approved, you're going to get a half a percent discount just for using autopay. Now terms and conditions apply and offers are subject to change without notice, but you need to get all the information on this. If you're looking to consolidate some credit card debt, don't want to tie it up in a home loan, maybe just need some quick cash. This is the place to go. You can get your funds the same as the day you apply it's lightstream.com slash wrestle. That's dot com slash wrestle and get all your information right there. Bruce, let's keep it going here. Uh, let's talk about some news sort of in and around the World Wrestling Federation as we build towards this pay-per-view. I found, and we've touched on this before, but I do want to mention it again. There's a lot of malls around this time that start selling, and I saw these shirts, Austin Rules Goldberg Sucks T-shirts and this is not a third-party company this is the wwf it's pretty ballsy that you guys are willing to put another dude's name you know the competition on your shirt whose idea was this
0: yeah i didn't even remember that until you know i read it in the notes and went back and just thought it was very short very limited time but everyone was talking about how great bill goldberg was and what have you and it was a test it wasn't something that was out there for a long period of time
1: it is interesting though that you know here's this company this big corporate company and they're like yeah let's just see what happens uh it, austin is everywhere here he's on the regis and kathy lee show and uh we've talked about regis a little bit before how big of a advocate for vince mcmahon and the world wrestling federation was regis Philman
0: well, Regis was a big advocate, but he was also a friend, and and when I say that, he was a friend of the business, he was a friend of the show, and he was a friend of Vincent Linda's. He used to come by the office and just say hello, and it was always you know, always nice to hang out with Regis and, and chill out with him and talk to him. I remember giving him, when the uh, television studio opened, taking him over, and he was just absolutely blown away at the magnitude of our television studios in Stanford, Connecticut. But he was a lot of fun to be around and he was always willing to help us out promote in any way, because that's how he got his start out in LA, uh, with Freddie Blassie he used to come on and he and Freddie had a little personal issue back in the day that worked well for him.
1: I want to mention here too. This is when we see Kurt angle sign with the world wrestling federation. He's going to start camp in September but he signs in late August, uh, we've covered Kurt angle in long form in the archives, anything you want to mention here?
0: Well, that was after Kurt angle had come in the first time fresh off of winning his gold medal. And <laughs> I remember Kurt telling me, you know, I can't, I can't lose. I'm a gold medalist. So, I mean, I know wrestling's not real, but I can't lose. I'm a gold medalist. And I thanked him very much and wished him well with his gold medal. And after going out and trying to be a sportscaster and checking out what ECW might have had in store for him, he came back and decided that he might be able to lose. And he he was willing to try this thing on. But Angle was prodigy. I've never seen, I've never to this day, seen anyone that picked it up as quickly or just as smoothly and be as damn good as Kurt was in such a short time. Brock was close. Um, I've seen guys like Matt Riddle that are just smooth and flawless, but Kurt angle was a different animal.
1: No doubt about it. And we know what type of career he went on to have. You can check out that show in the archives. at something dot com. I I feel like I should mention that there is one heck of a camp here. We talked about him going to camp, but check out who else is there. Matt and Jeff Hardy, Tom Howard, Glenn Culka, Jay Riso, Andrew Martin, Matt Bloom, Brackus, Sean Stasiak, and Giant Silva. That's a fucking hell of a class. You know, a lot of those guys are going to go on to be hall of famers. Unfortunately, you know, some are no longer with us. This camp, this process, why did it ever deviate? Why did it change? If you're able to get a a crew like this in here, why wouldn't you just keep that process going?
0: We did keep it going for a while and then there there were just different personnel issues and different issues with after a while we we added 17 brand new talent to the roster the first year when we started doing these camps 17 that's a lot of guys to add to an already very healthy roster there wasn't an NXT there wasn't a performance center For these talent to work until they got ready for the roster. So we needed guys that were roster ready and they're just, it wasn't feasible at that time to have a performance center or anything like that. The guys that we liked under contract, we would send them out to Memphis or Florida or California, wherever it may be for them to get more experience. But the camps were very successful. I wish they had gone on longer. Cause I thought it was a great way to assess talent, bringing them into the machine and let everyone in the machine, see them be around them in the gym and talk to them and get to know them on a different level. And for everyone to be able to contribute to their characters and, and have ideas for them. So it was a great idea. I thought it was something that you look at the success rate of these camps and I'll, I'll put it up against anybody, any time, any era of the business.
1: Meltzer would report around this same time that both Steve Blackman and road warrior animal are going to undergo some sort of arthroscopic knee surgery. And they're expected to be back, uh, towards early October. And they're doing an angle with Hawk at the time where they're claiming he's in rehab, which he wasn't. And this is a real challenge because he obviously has had, some substance issues and he's not in the best physical shape here and melcher would report hawk is in poor physical condition partially because he's recovering from numerous real health problems not limited to his problems with his liver and hepatitis c and it wasn't until i was doing research for this show that i realized that hawk had that sort of issue does that represent a certain set of challenges or concerns for the company how widely known was it? What can you tell us about Road Warrior Hawk here in uh, late August, early September,
0: 1998? Well, Hawk in, during this time frame in 98 was going through a lot of problems and he did have health issues, but he was out of shape and one of the reasons to do the angle with Hawk being in rehab was so that Hawk could get back into shape, take care of some of his health issues and see whether or not he was ever really going to be able to come back and be what he used to be. Uh, people look at him, and go, oh, I got fat, he got out of shape. No, he had other things going on and there were the drug issues. There were the liver issues. And those were things that he had to get right before we could even get him licensed and get him cleared to be in the ring. That was part of the reason why he had a limited time in the ring and why we did the rehab for him to go away and get in shape, get some of his health issues under control. So it was, it was not a, uh, while well, people look at it and say, oh, hey, that angle sucked, it was storyline, it was soap opera, but it was based in reality, and it was done to try and give... Mike Hegstrand Hawk, an uh, opportunity to go and get his shit straight and be able to kind of get on the right medication and get back in shape and try to become the Hawk of old.
1: When did you know or hear that Hawk had Pepsi?
0: God, I don't ever, I don't ever remember for me knowing that he had hep c i knew he had liver issues and i knew he had a lot of, of issues but i don't think that they diagnosed him with hep c until much later and they they thought that at first but there was a lot of oh no it's not it's something else and we we can fi-, you know we can fix it All right and that's what we were hearing and we didn't we didn't have the medical staff that they have now at the WWE that could examine him be able to, you know, give everything back to us that talent would sign off and allow us to know what's going on with them medically. We're only getting from the talent and what the doctor chooses to give us, what the talent allows them to.
1: Mick Foley was originally going to be given some time off until the pay-per-view, but then they change the house show structure because they were originally just going to do three ways with Undertaker, Kane, and Steve Austin, but they didn't want to have the pay-per-view be the exact same card as what all the house shows were, so they asked Foley to come back as Cactus Jack here and make it a fatal four-way on the house show loop. I feel like I should remind everybody, this is 1998 when the Hell in a Cell happened in July. We saw that he was doing even more craziness uh, on the next pay-per-view at SummerSlam, and now here we are a month later, we're going to talk about what he does here, but he's not even taking time off here. It hasn't really happened yet. Was anybody in the company worried about maybe putting Mick through too much, more than he can handle here?
0: Well, you know what? I think that people were worried about Mick's health and one of the reasons for doing fatal four and triple threat matches were so that Mick wouldn't have to put his body through so much of the punishment that he would in a single match. And it was just as, as simple as i uh, give him some time, but then give him some time off. But then, Hey, we need you, <laughs> but, but we're gonna, we're going to make sure that you rest him by putting you in a fatal four way. So you don't have to work as hard. Um, that kind that kind of shit would always tickle me because it was, after the tremendous bump and, and risk that Mick took at hell in a cell to just be back on the roster at all, I thought it was kind of crazy for a while. I, I think that he sh- should have taken three months off and then come back in a different light, but that just didn't happen because business was hot and Mick wasn't complaining because Mick was making money.
1: Yeah. I mean, listen, if anybody knows, anything about Mick Foley, you know, that he, he wants to keep going and he's not going to slow down because of an injury. And sometimes it feels like somebody should have pulled him back a little bit, but at this point that hasn't happened yet. Um, I I do want to mention here that this is around the same time that man in the moon is becoming a thing. Meltzer would write both Jerry Lawler and Lance Russell will play themselves in the movie man on the moon about the late Andy Kaufman, which is starring Jim Carrey, which means Lawler gets to pile drive. Carrey. Jimmy Hart who managed and took care of Kaufman when he was doing wrestling in Memphis from 82 and 83 won't be in the movie due to the wrestling politics of WCW and not wanting him involved in a movie that Lawler was in before we keep going about this. How fucking stupid is that? Jimmy Hart should have been allowed to be in this movie.
0: Uh, I don't know. And again, I don't know enough about it to, to say that Jimmy wasn't, I don't think that Vince would have had a problem with Jimmy being in the movie. No, I
1: don't think that, I mean, Meltzer even writes that it was politics on WCW's end, not necessarily uh, McMahon. Let's talk a little bit about, because I don't know when we will again, the importance of Andy Kaufman and that angle in 82. Uh, Of course, a lot of our listeners were probably uh, too young to actually see it happen, but maybe they've seen some videotapes here or there. But I think a lot of us have seen the movie Man on the Moon. What did you think of the angle when it happened? And then what did you think of the Man in the Moon depiction?
0: When Jerry Lawler piledrove Andy Kaufman many, many, many years ago, whatever that was in the 80s, I was working with Paul Bosch in Houston, Texas. And, And obviously, you had different territories all over the country. Paul Bosch sent Jerry Lawler a telegram congratulating Lawler for shutting up a big mouth and showing these Hollywood types. You don't fuck around with professional wrestling. And that's a shoot, you know, the real life Paul Bosch sits at (laughs) his typewriter typed out a Western union telegram says to Jerry Lawler, From Paul Bosch, Houston, Texas. Congratulations and thank you for sticking up for the professional wrestling business and putting that loud mouth, punk actor who thought he could come in and make fun of our business, putting him in his place. And Lawler (laughs) still, you know, to this day, that's one of the things that Lawler would always bring up to me. He goes, hey, remember that time Paul Bosch sent me a telegram? The boys... The the promoters all over the country, they thought it was a shoe. They thought, you know, okay, Lawler took it too far, you know, my by God, that's what you do. Somebody makes fun of the business, you put them in their place and you hurt them. They Memphis did it meticulously. Lawler was great in his role. Kaufman was great in his role. They played it to the hilt, even as far as Andy Kaufman going to the hospital. He already had broken bones in his neck. So for them to do the extra, go. Oh my God, you've got a broken neck. Trust me. Most of us have broken necks. I've, I've got one myself, Conrad, you probably got a broken neck. Don't even know it. Um, but it played into the hoopla of everything that was going on. So then you go to the making of the movie and they tried to recreate some of that magic that Andy Kaufman had with Jerry Lawler. And, in doing so, you know, Lawler, I guess, and, and I I wasn't aware that they were going to do this whole thing on the movie set. And we got wind of it in Stanford after it had already hit the press. Vince was livid. Uh, I was livid. Not for the angle, but that we didn't know. And they should have told us ahead of time so that our PR people would know how to react to it. And our PR people could have helped. To get it out, but we didn't know. And Jim Ross was out there. So it was a little bit of a sticking point with the PR people and Vince. that it was like, you know, we got caught with our pants down a little bit.
1: So I guess we should mention, you know, not only do they do this, but Kerry, I mean, he sells a lot of people on this being very, very believable. And it's even portrayed that because there's been documentaries come out since. Even people on the cast and
0: crew didn't know what was real and what wasn't. And Kerry did a good job of trying to, you know, whatever character act and, and get into character for this whole thing. Um, he did a great job. He did a great job of being Andy Kaufman and what he felt Andy Kaufman was going through during that period in his life to, to be Andy Kaufman in 1998. Playing him in a movie. So uh, Lawler gave Carey this insight as to what made Andy tick and how Andy would react to certain things. Why Andy did certain things the way he did. And, uh, you know, the rest, they say, is movie magic. I enjoyed the hell out of the movie. And and I got to spend a little time around Andy Kaufman in Memphis uh, when my brother Tom was working there, when Lawler... They were using Andy for a lot of stuff there. Uh, he kept to himself and he protected the business at all times. I mean, he very rarely broke character, if ever. I, I don't think I ever once saw him break character while I was there.
1: I want to mention that uh, at StarCast, we had a, a Remembering Andy Kaufman panel. And I heard I hadn't I didn't get a chance to see it live, but I heard from many people that it was one of the best panels that we did all weekend. So I went back and watched it, and there's a little surprise there uh, to kick the show off. So Andy Kaufman and the legend lives on, and uh, it's it's a cool thing if you get a chance to check it out with Starcast. I do want to mention here that Dan Severn is in the Observer. Um, Dave would write Dan Severn apparently complained to Jim Ross about not being allowed to bring his NWA and UFC belts to the ring or being acknowledged as the NWA champion, which Meltzer would say is apparently a Russo decision. And Meltzer says, we're told that decision may be changed. Had you, I mean, do you remember any sort of conversation about whether or not you should acknowledge the UFC and NWA titles? And was that really a Russo thing to sort of poo-poo it. I think a lot of people have heard that maybe he was not a wrestling purist and didn't think the NWA was of any significance. He grew up in the Northeast, or is that really a McMahon thing If we're not going to acknowledge those title belts here? Cause it does feel like he flip-flopped over that a few times.
0: It was quite a few people's feeling that why would you acknowledge another champion outside of the WWE? It, it, it didn't make a whole lot of sense. But part of Dan's allure, and one of the things that Dan did, he was a UFC champion. He was the NWA champion. He, he would wear the NWA championship out to his UFC fights. It was another accolade for him. So for us to bring him into our world, one of the suggestions, and originally, way originally, before Ken Shamrock, it was my suggestion to have Dan Severin come in with all the championships that he had— draped over him, and he needed to add another championship to, to his waist, and that was the WWE championship. Um, Vince hated it. Vince didn't like it. Vince didn't feel that it was the right thing to do. Jim Cornette, an NWA purist uh, and a big fan, Jim Cornette fought for it, and Jim felt that Dan Severin, to add to his credibility – should be with all these accolades. Uh, Jim was also friends with Dennis Coraluzo, who I guess was the acting president of the NWA at the time. So we made an agreement with them that we could use the NWA championship. We weren't going to have Dan defend the title or anything like that, or do anything funky like that. But we wanted to acknowledge that he was the NWA champion and UFC champion. But I know Russo, didn't see it, didn't, didn't know anything about the NWA and care about its history or anything else. And and by then NWA was pretty much a dead brand anyway.
1: Uh right. Let's talk about the, uh, cease and desist that you guys send the working families party, whose logo was a block W with an F attached. This feels sort of interesting to me that the WFP are on their heels From the WWF, what do you think about, you know, obviously this is going to be an issue when you guys have to defend the WWF a few years later with the world wildlife fund, but here you're doing it for the working families party.
0: Well, I think it was more their logo and their logo was very similar to what we were using that block logo at the time. It was, it was very similar to the logo that we were using. That's how I remember it. And it was just confusion and they just have, you have to protect your trademarks and you have to protect that stuff and go after it. When people do it, you say, Hey, we've seen this, please stop doing it. If they don't stop doing it, then you have to go after them in court law.
1: How great is it that their name is working
0: families? You got to love it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, basically ways <laughs> the work working wrestling federation.
1: I mean, yeah, it's two working families getting together. It's crazy.
0: (laughs) Let's
1: switch gears and talk about Shawn Michaels here. Uh, Meltzer would write, there's no target date for Shawn Michaels' return to the ring other than guesses of towards the end of the year or beginning of next year. He's down quite a bit in weight right now, and there are many ideas that have been thrown around, but none are locked in stone as to whether or not he'll feud with DX or be a part of DX, or others will break away from DX when he joins. But Meltzer's clear to say that Nobody really knows what's going on with Sean. What did you think was going on with Sean in August, September 98? Of course, he had left you guys at WrestleMania. Um, he crowns Steve Austin, as sort of the new flag bearer and torch bearer for the company, but there's still gotta be somewhere in the locker room where people think, well, he's coming back I mean, nobody really thought he was gone forever.
0: That depends on who you asked. I think that there was doubt think that there were some people who thought that Sean was going to milk it for everything it was worth. There were those of us in talent relations that kept saying, Hey, what are we doing with Sean? Because he's, he's still on payroll and we need to do something with him. Then there was Vince, let him rest until we know that he's 100% good and cleared and ready to go. Um, We'll use him for something. There wasn't any clear idea as to what the hell we would use him for. We knew that he wasn't going to come back, that in, in his mind in Sean's mind, he had retired and that was it. He wasn't ever going to come back after that injury. So if you want to figure out something for him, figure out a commentator, another on air role of some kind, or, or another role for Sean Michaels, other than in ring at this point in time, we weren't thinking in ring return. What were you thinking? I was thinking commentary. I was thinking, make him a color commentary on, on the show. Um, just do something with him, get him out there as goodwill ambassador, but work him capitalize on his stardom and do something with him to get him out there because he was the guy that we had pushed for the last few years as the top guy, there was quite a bit of equity built up in Shawn Michaels. that could have paid off in a variety of ways.
1: What did you think, you know, about a guy? really just sitting on the sidelines for months and months collecting a paycheck. Are you upset about that? as somebody in talent relations and wonder what the fuck is it about this guy and Vince or it does feel like he, he got lots of passes that maybe other guys didn't get.
0: He did. And that was a frustration because it's hard, you know, that's hard to explain to people, uh, when you say, okay, but that guy's doing it, (laughs) you know what I mean? Right. Whenever whenever you make a pass for one, that opens the door for twenty others to point at that one and say, Well, what's different about him? The relationship between Vince and Sean was a unique r- relationship. It was kind of father son. It was a love hate relationship. And I dare say that after Montreal, that it was a bond that Vince was going to protect Sean till the day he died. And felt that Sean had done something for the company that maybe a lot of people wouldn't have done. And he was, he was all about, uh, taking care of Sean.
1: I mean, were you for it?
0: Were you against it? Did you
1: understand it?
0: I understood it at the same time. I wanted to get something out of it. I I felt that, okay, don't work. If you can't work, don't work. Understand that part of it. But let's get something out of it from a performance standpoint. The contract was a performance contract, and let, let's get something out of it. Put him on TV, make him a color commentator, make him a manager that doesn't bump, get him out there as a PR guy and a goodwill ambassador. I don't give a shit what you do. But not having him on TV and paying him, to me, was not the best practice at that time for me
1: as a reminder, he winds up becoming the commissioner. He eventually turns heel and joins the corporation. Um, I'm sure we'll talk about that some other time. Let's talk about the character. Abu Meltzer would write the sidekick of tiger. Ali Singh was dumped in favor of Babu. who started at last week's TV. He is wrestler Pablo Marquez, who has worked in uh, ECW. And of course in Puerto Rico, chat me up here. Um, why the switch here to Pablo Marquez, it, it, Tiger Ali Singh, I think is, is an episode that I hope we get to do sometime. There's no way uh-huh. we could do a whole episode, but everything about this guy I don't know. is fascinating to me because there's so many starts and stops and missteps and misplaced hype. Maybe what about Abu to Babu and who should give a shit?
0: Yeah, well, who should give a shit is is probably more correct. Uh, I actually got to see Babu, Pablo Marquez, at the MLW event in Fort Lauderdale, Florida for War Games uh, last week or a couple weeks ago. And he absolutely looks great. But he was – the idea – I don't even remember who the fuck Abu was. But Babu was a worker, and Pablo was a worker, and he could take bumps. He could do things. So the idea behind it was have someone out there that can take bumps and maybe you can get a match and get a tag team match out of. But he knew the wrestling business and was able to do more things. And Pablo was somebody that we knew from Puerto Rico, uh, El Puerto Rican or something like that in Mexico. But he was a good guy and he was dependable as well.
1: Chat me up if you were a betting man, would you have bet that this Tiger Ali Singh character was ever going to be anything here by the summer of 98?
0: Well, I I was, I was still hoping people, you know, always ask me for my advice on betting and different things. And and it's, you know, I would, I would have taken that bet at the time, Conrad, but usually, you know, they don't, they don't ask me about that. They ask me about, Hey, who do you think is going to win this football game this week?
1: Well, here's the deal. If you're looking for some advice, you got to check out my Bookie. I always tell people to bet with my Bookie, and trust me, these guys are your best bet this season. They've been in business for years. They've got great reviews online and their mobile site is easy to use. So easy. Bruce can do it. Not to mention they have in-game live betting and the most rewarding player perks in the business. Plus for all you fantasy guys out there, you can even bet the over under on how many fantasy points a player will score in each game. Come on. Lay down some cash and win big today. It's simple. You win and they pay and they've been slammed with new betters. So now they want to give everyone the best service possible. So they've got you an even sweeter deal. Not only can you get your first deposit matched dollar for dollar. I want to repeat that. Join now and my bookie will match your first deposit
0: dollar for dollar. But if you wait do a minute, it, comrade, I put in a hundred dollars. They put in a hundred dollars. If account? you
1: put in a thousand dollars, they put in a thousand dollars, all the way up to a thousand dollars. Just use our promo code Wrestle. But as if that wasn't enough, if you do that first deposit after 7 p.m. Eastern, they'll give you an extra twenty-five bucks on all your free plays that are over a hundred dollars. So if you deposit more than a hundred bucks after 7 p.m. Eastern, they're going to kick you an additional twenty-five dollars just because. And by the way, they're matching your deposit. Why wouldn't you do this? Use our promo code wrestle and go ahead and claim your account up to thousand dollars in free play coming your way. That's MyBookie. M Y B O O K I E. And don't forget to use our promo code wrestle. You play, you win, you get paid up to thousand dollars free. Hit it up. MyBookie. use their promo code wrestle. Bruce, let's keep rolling here. Let's talk about somebody who people were not betting on to have a a run here. And we're going to cover him in long form here in the coming weeks. Steven Regal is coming back to the WWF training camp in September here. And he's been told to work on his physique and conditioning for a restart. Specifically, they want him to tighten up his upper body is what Dave Meltzer would write. Uh, Steve Regal, one of the good guys in wrestling and a lot of people pulling for him. Talk to me about his return here and getting a second chance. I think a lot of people remember he debuted as the the real man's man gimmick with the hard hat and the silly lines. But most of us first became enamored with his wrestling style in WCW. And it's been a bit of stop and start at this point. Is the office still waiting on him to show something here? Are they patient? Do they understand what's going on? Talk to me about the tone and tenor of the office and their relationship with Regal here.
0: Well, man, I remember going back to when Regal first appeared on WCW so many, you know, years ago, because when I'd heard that Steven Regal was going to be on WCW, I tuned in. I thought it was the Steven Regal from the AWA days way back when, when he teamed, I think he teamed with Garvin and a few other folks, um, but he was the guy from Indianapolis. And this was a British Stephen Regal. had a very clean cut look, but man, his work was unique. And I always liked that European style of work. So Steve Regal was one of those guys that we always had on our radar and thought he'd be a good addition to the roster. So when Steve came in initially, wasn't in shape, uh, had had some health issues and also had some substance abuse issues that had been well-documented. And the guy that we thought we were getting, we weren't getting. We were, we were getting a, a fucked up, out of shape, you you know, used to be. And Vince was not happy about it. So we had gone through some things, and, and he had broken his ankle, and he got— like Big Show told me at WrestleMania, he said Bruce Pritchard looked like Bruce Pritchard ate Bruce Pritchard. Well, William Regal looked like he had eaten Stephen Regal. At this time, he he was he was fat, he was out of shape, he was flabby, very loose. And the only way that Vince was going to use him, Vince was really disappointed in the way that he came in, and said that. Look, the only way that, uh, we're going to use you is if you get in shape and you prove yourself all over again. So the idea was that he came into the camps, came in and worked with my brother for a period of time, even after the camp to get back in shape and not just in shape, but also ring shape, which is even harder to do. Um, and Vince is going to make him the man's man. I'm a man. I'm a man's man. Squeezing orange juice with his bare hands. Well, I can't wait
1: to talk more about Regal. He's coming up in the coming months here on something to wrestle. Stay tuned. I do want to mention the Ric Flair return to WCW because that's a big moment, September 14th on Nitro. And him coming back to confront Eric Bischoff is going to be a big deal. So you guys are trying to counter program that. And you have the very first match between Steve Austin and Ken Shamrock. And we also see Undertaker turn pretty much full-fledged heel here and the rock is now a good guy with mankind uh they're both uh, a pair of good guys nitro does a 4.54 that night and raw does a 3.99 so Flair's return does a 5.44 rating and austin shamrock does a 4.87 i've talked a lot about how i think shamrock could have been more um, what was the thinking here and putting Austin and Shamrock and because the rating didn't pop a number, is that why maybe Shamrock didn't get a bigger push as an individual? I mean, it feels like he could have been a tippy top guy and for whatever reason that didn't happen.
0: You know what? Uh, and when we get into the end of the show later on, you're, you're going to get the example of the reason why Ken Shamrock didn't become a top guy. Uh, and I think Ken Shamrock still was a top guy, but why Kenny didn't take it to the next level. And there's a glaring example in the, in the show that we're about to talk about here in a little bit. So I won't up cut that. Flair being your buddy,
1: Flair returning where you, I mean, is this something even you want to see, or did you give a shit one way or another?
0: At this point, I didn't give a shit one way or another, but I think for everybody in the business, this was a a unique angle where they took real life and they were capitalizing on the real life heat between Eric and Rick that created interest and people want to see what the hell are they going to do and happy about Rick coming back. I
1: think a lot of people were happy about him coming back and we just covered that. On what happened when with Tony Schiavone in 83 weeks with Eric Bischoff. If you'd like to see more about that, let's do a quick rundown though of that September 14th show. It's in San Jose, another huge sellout, 13,000 fans, $325,000 gate. And Mr. McMahon would come out with Kane and the undertaker saying that while he hates the undertaker, the three of them had basically come to a business agreement that they'd have his back and he'd set one of them up for the title and the match at breakdown can only end if one of them pin Austin or if Austin pins one of them. So it looks like, you know, this is a stone cold screwed stone cold moment by setting it up where it's essentially a handicap match, even though maybe not so much. We'll talk about that as we get to the show. I do want to mention too, this is where Dustin Runnels is sort of mocking everyone who's criticizing the content of the WWF. And he's doing a religious character and he's, um, sort of talking about how terrible it is that people are behaving this way on WWE, which of course means they're going to put him with Val Venus, which is a match we're going to see a little later, but in the build of this, we see that Val Venus has done a new adult film called the preacher's wife and under the covers with him is Marlena. Is this the most Vince Russo storyline ever?
0: (laughs) Yeah, absolutely, man. And, uh, to be repeated several times throughout the course of, of his, his reign there. So it was something that was, was controversial and easy fodder.
1: Yeah. Uh, this is also a show where we see a vignette of Steve Regal chopping down a fucking tree. A
0: man's man. Yeah. yeah. Damn it, don't you understand? It's what men do.
1: We get Gangrel and Edge going to a double count out. Um blood's being spit up everywhere. There's an evening gown match with Sable and Jacqueline. I think uh Jackie may have had a wardrobe malfunction, and we may have what did we see that day, Vince?
0: Chocolate chocolate titties mm.
1: the next day mcmahon was talking to alex marvis trying to explain that it was an accident and that sable was supposed to make sure both were wearing underwear that wouldn't allow things to pop out upon impact but unfortunately that didn't happen and they managed to show a replay and the replay kept going um I don't know why that's fun to me, but it is. And this obviously allows Bischoff to really take Vince McMahon to task. And they're going back and forth about what should or shouldn't happen and the way this is going to affect advertisers. Did you have a particular stance one way or another? When you've got a, a lady's chest exposed on raw,
0: where do I like to stand when ladies chests are exposed? Well, or? I mean, you know,
1: this is, listen, as a man, I'm sure you're like, Hey, roll tide, but As a business person, you got to think, fuck, this ain't good.
0: Well, no. And it was a complete accident and it was something that was not supposed to happen. And it was something that, where we trusted the talent, but the replay themselves, the replay, the the replay was a fuck up in the truck. And that was just a fuck up where they were supposed to get out and they didn't and fuck ups happen. And that was two bad fuck ups that happened back to back but it was one of those where no longer allow the talent to police themselves. You know, they were told where, uh, tape and also have pasties on at all times. Um, they didn't do that. I do want to ma- happen.
1: I do want to mention here, um, as we're heading into this pay-per-view, almost nothing has been announced and ironed out. Yeah. Uh, just the main event. And Dustin uh, Reynolds and Val Venus, everything else is uh, sort of all over the
0: place. I'm and- sorry. I'm laughing Conrad because is he, the way you said that and how you said it, there was the frustration from the old timers in the business. And when I say old timers, I'm going to throw Bruce Pritchard and Jim Ross in that group because we would sit there and Jr., Who is booking the house shows night to night. is like, God damn, got to have. Do, do we have anything to promote? Is, is, there any, is, is there any attraction that I can promote here? It sure would be nice other than having one match and maybe this, and maybe that, you know, y'all ain't got a kayfabe me. I'm on the team. I'm on the team. I'm your head coach and I got to get out there. And I, I, I got to know, you know, where I can place my players when it's time for them to play in the half shows. And Vince's argument to that was, you know, goddamn, just go ahead and book your house shows. Why do you need to know what we're doing on TV? Well, the marketing people need to know what we're promoting on pay-per-view. Is it, are you in charge of marketing? Well, no, 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 but they come to me. Well, then tell them to come to me. And it was the, the start of they're going to tune into the pay-per-views for the brand, and they're going to tune in for whatever the main event is and nothing else matters. Right, And that was, that was the frustration from old school where we had, man, we promoted everything. Now it was one thing.
1: We, end the show, this raw, we were talking about with Austin and shamrock where undertaker and Kane come out, take chokeslam choke slam shamrock. And then he goes to work on Austin, but rock and mankind make the save. So it's a big schmoz as we head to the pay-per-view though, as I said, there's just the two uh, cards that have been our two matches that have been announced for the card and Meltzer would write, there was an original card a few weeks back that got revamped because of the belief it wouldn't make for a good show. A second card was put into place, but due to the injury of Hunter Hearst Helmsley, who was scheduled to defend the intercontinental title against Mark Henry, the entire undercard has been scrapped. The show that had been planned, besides the two matches that are official, and the Helmsley-Henry title match, were another triple threat with Shamrock, Rocky Maivia, and Mankind coming off their no decision on the Raw show. X-Pac and the New Age Outlaws taking on Jeff Jarrett and Southern Justice, Vader versus Bradshaw, Mark Merrow versus Drostoff, Gangrel versus Lo Brown, and Owen Hart versus Edge. These matches had all been advertised in some form locally, and at press time, the live event at the Cops Coliseum had 13,720 tickets for two hundred and seventy-nine grand, with only about 1,200 seats remaining. So it's pretty much a lock that it will be sold out before the day of the event. It is sort of interesting that business is so hot, but seemingly nobody knows who's on first.
0: Doesn't matter who the hell's on first, God damn it. Who's home? Who's in the end zone? Who's in the net? Those are the only goddamn sports metaphors I know.
1: I feel like we should mention that um the injury that we mentioned for Hunter is a uh outer torn meniscus. And it happened on September fifteenth in Sacramento during a match that was taped for Sunday Night Heat. So of all the places to get hurt, it's on a fucking Sunday Night Heat match. Uh he undergoes arthroscopic surgery, Dr. James Andrews in Birmingham. Uh, and then it's supposed to be out for like three weeks and people think it would take a miracle for him to be able to uh, wrestle at the pay-per-view. It feels like he's got maybe the worst timing ever here because he's fresh off this big win and now he's missing the next pay-per-view Call breakdown. He's on the poster. How disappointed is Hunter that he's not on this show?
0: I think it was pretty damn disappointed. Uh, Business was hot and wanted to be in the mix, wanted to be in the middle of everything. So anytime that you're, anytime that you're hot and that things are happening around you and you got to go out for a while, it sucks. We don't ever, yeah,
1: it's bummed. We don't ever talk about this, but when a guy who's in a featured spot like this, the intercontinental champion on the pay-per-view poster in the middle of a big push, when he misses a pay-per-view like this, it costs him money You're in a ballpark. What sort of what sort of payoff he probably lost here by not being able to perform?
0: No, he probably got a, he probably got the same payoff he would have gotten if he did perform. Really? Yeah. Well, good for him. During during this time, yeah. When did that change? I don't know that it has really changed that much. I don't know what their payoff. I have no idea how the hell they do payoffs now. They don't either. during that time. Jim Ross was was very very fair. If a guy had been advertised, been in a position, and an injury took him out. They they were taken care of. That September fifteenth show in Sacramento we were referencing
1: is actually the raw that was taped on the fifteenth in order to air on the twenty first. This is when they're still doing a live raw on Monday and then taping a raw on Tuesday, the very next day. So this is the go home show before breakdown. And here's a bit of trivia for you: this September fifteenth, nineteen ninety eight taping. The dark match is where Mike modest beat Tony Jones. And if that sounds familiar, it's because that's the match that you saw in the movie beyond the mat, uh, which I think is a fun little side note for what we're talking about here. I guess we should, uh, briefly run through what happened here on the go home edition of the show. McMahon comes out with mankind rock and shamrock, and he's ready to give all three a golden opportunity of a lifetime. Austin comes out and now he's got to wrestle Taker and Kane in a tag match later and he could pick any partner except Mankind, Rock and Shamrock and they would blow their title match opportunity the next week on Raw if they accepted. Uh and then he announces that there's going to be a triple threat with those three and the winner gets a shot at the title next week in Detroit. So we're off and running there. Um some interesting stuff on the card here, including a boot camp match where we had Al Snow wrestle Sergeant Slaughter, which I can't believe is a real thing. The Stooges are involved here as well, and they're going to hit the ring and attack Snow until Scorpio would make the save. We've got Val Venus working with Owen Hart. You know what's coming here? You've got Val Venus asking Dustin. As he's got him tied up in the ropes, if he's ever seen Marlena have an orgasm, I can't believe this is real life, but it is. Uh, we've got Jackie and Sable in a short match. Of course, Mark Mero's there interfering. Man, there's just a lot to, to process on these.
0: It, it just no, no. What you wanted to say was, boy, there's a lot of shit.
1: Somehow, it's just it oof, is, it's a it going just, on,
0: and it was shit.
1: The the person of all the people you could pick. To be Stone Cold Steve Austin's partner in the tag match here against Kane and Undertaker, who would it be? Well, how about Billy Gunn? Uh the finish sees Undertaker Chokeslam Billy Gunn for the pin. I guess you had to have a top guy, and since Hunter can't be there, he's injured. Let's put another big member of DX in there. And he is a big bastard, and you need somebody to take the loss. Is that the thought process behind putting Billy Gunn in this match?
0: I can't honestly tell you what the hell the thought process was at that point because it made no sense. First of all, Steve's a loner. Steve's the rattlesnake. He's the loner. He doesn't have a partner. He doesn't want a partner. And the, it, it made no sense at all. And to book it in that way just accentuated that and shone a light on the fact that it made no fucking sense. So I, I don't know. It's just because looking at here's how it probably happened. They probably go, well, who could team with Steve looking down the roster? How about Billy Gunn, bro? Okay, great. Billy Gunn, Love it. And then it happened.
1: Yeah. Meltzer would write, uh, here's a little note that we haven't talked about before. Bruce Pritchard will be repla- replacing Michael Cole on the shotgun show. They did an angle in the UK version where Kevin Kelly fired him from the show. I don't remember this chat me up. Was there a discussion about you replacing Michael Cole on shotgun?
0: I did replace Michael Cole on shotgun for quite a while, but I don't, I don't remember Kevin Kelly firing. I don't know how Kevin Kelly could fire anyone, but I do remember doing shotgun for a while. Kevin Dunn wanted to put me on commentary, wanted to put me on. Boy, uh, that was a mistake. Color. Wasn't it? What's that? So that was a mistake. Wasn't it? Yeah, I'm the shits at it. I'm really the shits at play by play.
1: If you really want to hear Bruce shit the bed doing play by play, fire off the WWE Network. They just posted a new hidden gems, and they've got Tito Santana tagging with Mill Mascaris in Houston against against dem- Demolition. Against Demolition.
0: Oh shit! I can only imagine because it was the first time in my life that night I ever did play by play. It's evident, and it is
1: awful, and you should go relive it in all its glory. I'm gonna do it. I think we should watch that and let you do commentary on it now on on Patreon. <laughs> oh my
0: god! No, I you know I didn't. I, I wasn't a play by play guy. You're Still not. And no, I'm I'm not. I, I never claimed to be. Never wanted to be. But I remember being on a plane with Vince, and he looked at me and goes, uh, "What have you done as a talent?" And I said, "Well, I did the localized interviews, and I and I had to get it in. I did." about 30 seconds of color on Mid-South with Jim Ross where I was supposed to plug uh, third-party promotions and everything, but I was supposed to call the match with JR, and it's probably the worst 30 seconds. (laughs) Uh, Well, God, Jim, boy, they're cooking with gasoline now. That was my big line. And you talk about the drizzling shits. It was worse than the drizzling shits.
1: That makes me happy. Let's talk about it. Breakdown. We're finally here. Sell out. Down. Oh, sorry. 17,405 fans, $322,000 Canadian, which is about $158 American, uh, another 138,000 in Canadian merchandise, and it does a point eight six buy rate, which is like 3.85 million in pay-per-view revenue. And it's actually the largest crowd to ever see an event at cops Coliseum. And you guys have been running shows there forever and ever. Uh, edge has obviously talked about seeing a lot of shows there as a kid. Uh, this being his hometown. Uh, I think it's now the first Ontario center I opened up in 85. So it was there for the big boom of the Hogan era. And, and then here again, any good memories about the cops Coliseum?
0: It's where I solidified, uh, the ownership of my, First Rolex. Oh, there you go.
1: Well, nice to know. Now, is this the Terry Taylor one? That was the first one. Yeah. How many have you had? You say that like you've owned many, many Rolexes. I've got three Rolexes. I only know the one. What are the other models?
0: I've got a Cellini and a uh, antique one. Cellini sucks. Fuck you! I like my Cellini. You've
1: never. It's a formal
0: watch. You've never. I'll wear it to your wedding.
1: You're not coming to my wedding. You've got a Dirty Dozen up the road with Dave Silva. No, I'm not coming to your bachelor party. What? Ooh, you think maybe I can do a Dirty <laughs> Dozen? Come to Rosie's Cantina, <laughs> me, Dave Silva, and Bruce Pritchett yeah. <laughs> the night before my wedding.
0: Yeah. Hey, would it be all right if we just use the use the basement for the Dirty Dozen while the wedding's going on upstairs, maybe? The wedding's in the basement. Okay, well, then can we use the living room for the Dirty
1: Dozen? I mean, I... I assumed I would have people walking around here in something to wrestle shirts, asking for pictures just because I knew that you and Dave would find a way to whore it out.
0: Well, thanks for the idea. I, you know, I wasn't because I was going to have my significant other with me. So I, I wasn't going to do that. Well, that's s- a hell of an idea. Hey, Silva, I know you're listening to, Well, Silva doesn't listen to the show. No, he doesn't, but I, you could send him a text
1: and I'm sure that staff will be here because somebody has got to be able to take the merch money as you sell them a hat or a koozie or a a photo of you holding a trash can.
0: Well, yeah, something (laughs) like that. Yeah. So maybe we should do, maybe we should do the dirty dozen in Huntsville the night before your wedding. I'm not going. Why not?
1: we have a rehearsal dinner.
0: Well, after the dinner, I'm going to come to the rehearsal dinner.
1: No, you're going to be up the road selling eight by tens (laughs) and meeting greets. (laughs) come on around, man. What's your name? Where are you from? Who do you make this out to? Yeah. All right. Smile. Let's get a pick. <laughs> <laughs>
0: okay. Move along. Move along. There's six more people right behind you. Come on now. <laughs> <laughs> You're
1: such a dick. Got to
0: get all seventy of you done.
1: Of course, we start with, uh, heat. I guess we should mention there was a dark match. Uh, Golga beat Mosh, uh, with an earthquake splash. couple minutes. Match was terrible. Uh, at least that's report from the observer. You get, um, Matt and Jeff Hardy, who beat Men's Tao and Funaki. Uh, Meltzer First would say Dick that was. To go.
0: Was Dick to go there?
1: No. Uh, another triple threat match. You get uh, both members of the DOA against Billy Gunn. And um, I guess we should talk about the actual show now, finally. We're here. We're over an hour into the actual episode. We should cover the actual pay per view that we've promoted. Owen Hart is going to be wrestling edge in the first match. And both of these guys are cheered like crazy because they're both Canadian heroes, but, uh, I don't know. What'd you think? It wasn't nearly as good as uh, I imagined going in, just seeing who's there, but yeah, I I don't know what I expected, but I kind of forgot that edge wrestled Owen. So when Edge comes out and gets the big reaction because they announced him as being from there, and Owen comes out trying to get the heel heat and establish that he's the bad guy, and he's wearing a Toronto Argonauts jersey. Um, but he's not really booed for it, although Meltzer would say he was. At least I didn't think so. I thought both of these guys got big reactions. But I think when you think it's you know Edge from 98 and Owen Hart – And those guys really feel like they're almost from different eras to me. You think this is going to be like one of the best matches ever. And it was a good match. And there is one hell of a bump in here that I don't think anybody talks about. It's where edge comes off the top rope to the floor and Owen turns him and does a power slam on the floor. I mean, which nobody talks about that. Nobody talks about like, I, I forgot it was even in here. Like if you were to ask me. Hey, remember that time Edge took a big bump off the top to the floor against (laughs) Owen? No, I don't. I remember tables and ladders and chairs, but nothing against Owen. And here it is in the opening match. And maybe just after that, I just, I don't know. I I was so taken aback by that. And I guess we should mention in the middle of this match or rather the end, this fuzzy headed fucker just pops up out of nowhere (laughs) and distracts Edge and Owen gets the pin. And then you... Take another look and you're like, holy shit, that's, that's Christian. It's the debut of Christian here, which is pretty fun. Two and three quarter stars is what Meltzer gave it. I don't know what I was expecting. I still think two and three quarters is low, but I just see edge knowing. And I'm like, oh, well, this is going to be four or five stars. This is going to be a barn burner. It was a good match, but I think the interference or not the interference, but the appearance of Christian is what makes it most memorable but that big bump on the floor, you got to go out of your way to see this. This is something nobody talks about.
0: Well, I thought that the match was solid and good. Was it, you know, this Barn Bernie personal issue between the two that, you know, they're going to tear the house down? No, but it was a great solid match to start the paper you off on a good note. The debut of Christian, nobody knew who they were. Uh, I wasn't crazy about the roll-up at the end. Just, it was kind of a, yeah, is Pat Patterson would say finish. Um, but it debuted a new character and got, uh, got the show off to a good start and a nice little, nice little match for both guys. Edge would but write- it was good. in like oh, you no, say, no. that solid shit, it was good.
1: Uh, edge would say the match. My second pay-per-view was breakdown from you guessed it, Hamilton cops Coliseum, my opponent was a guy on a short list of people. I'd always wanted to work with Owen Hart. I was very excited to work with Owen and came to the table with quite a few ideas. We had a few hurdles to jump. Owen was working with a severely pulled groin. I was working on a minor groin pull, but I enjoyed every minute of that match. And he later confided to me that our match was the last time he was looking forward to going out and having a quote unquote wrestling match. Pretty tough to beat that compliment. The finish of the match saw Jay make his World Wrestling Federation debut as Christian, a mysterious newcomer who cost me the match. From that point on, we would forever be known as brothers to wrestling fans. And to this day, the question I get asked the most is, are you and Christian really brothers? Let me set the record straight for good. We may act like brothers and he is the closest thing I have to a brother, but we're not really brothers. I mean, I'm ugly, but not that ugly. Kurt has actually deemed Jay the ugliest pretty boy in the world. And I think the creepy little bastard is actually proud of it. So there's a a big moment in their wrestling careers. Of course, edge made his pay-per-view debut the month before as the mystery opponent for Sable at SummerSlam. And now a month later, his buddy's here and, and growing up a big wrestling fan, a little Hulkamaniac. And now in your, in one of the home coliseums where you grew up watching wrestling,
0: this is a pretty big deal for these guys. Is it not? Sure. It is. Yeah. It's, when you talk about the history and cops Coliseum was also where edge had his first tryout match with the WWE. And so that was a, a big, big moment for him. And I also just wanted to point out, I think that Christian has gotten much better looking with age. Cause he was an ugly old bastard here. Very creepy.
1: Well, all right. Didn't expect that.
0: Next well, up. He's better looking than he was.
1: We got Al Snow and Scorpio taking on Brian Christopher and Scott Taylor. They go eight minutes and five seconds and Meltzer would write in time and not much time. Snow's ring entrance is going to be huge because this is the era of the crowd participation catchphrase. He was right. This is an interesting match. It gets two and a quarter stars. Uh, not as good as the first match. According to Meltzer. I enjoyed this for what it was though. Even though, you know, we sort of shit on the show to the top and, and said, oh, it wasn't a great show. These are not bad matches to get us going. These are four very capable wrestlers in the ring here. And we had two to open the show. What'd you think of this match all these years later?
0: I hate it. I, I hate, I liked the match. The match was okay. I hated the finish cause it was just convoluted as fuck with everybody in the ring doing yeah. bullshit. It made absolutely no sense. And. I just don't think that anybody knew what the hell was going on, including the guys in the ring. And that's how it came across on television. And I just, nah, I, I indifferent to it. The match was good. Ruined by a really shitty finish. And to go back before this, did you notice the music that played during the doc Hendricks and Sable interview? I don't remember. Okay. Well, if you can imagine, you ever see the movie Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure? Yes. And you know how, when they would do the air guitar, you know, that thing? Yes. That Okay. Well, if you go back and you watch that interview, I swear to God, that's the music that they're playing during the Doc Hendricks Sable interview. Well, hang on
1: now. Help me understand. What does the, what does the music sound like?
0: I did. I just basically did Wayne's rule. But it was it's air guitar.
1: And what's it sound like though?
0: Well, I was doing the dilly doo, dilly doo, dilly doo, but that's from Wayne's World, where you where you like go from one place to another, you go dilly doo, dilly doo, dilly doo. Hang on, I I should probably video. I I should probably do a video on that, don't you think? No, let's just keep rolling. No, wait a minute. I'm I'm almost there, Conrad. I know I'm technology challenged and all, but you're gonna love this, and then people will want to see it and all this other shit because everybody knows. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> okay. We're not doing the air guitar for Bill and Ted's. It's dilly doo, dilly doo, dilly doo, dilly doo, the and then the, the shit comes down like this in the in the middle of the screen, and then we're in a different place. And that's what makes America beautiful. Do, do, do
1: by the way, Brian Christopher, this is the first match I've seen of his that I remember sitting down and watching since we lost him. How fucking talented was that guy?
0: Brian could do it all, man. He was a very talented little bastard, hell of an athlete. So it was, and again, there's nothing wrong with the match. It was solid, but the finish was the shits just fucking sucked. I'm sorry. sucked. Nobody cared either. Nobody gave a shit past the entrances.
1: It was fun on commentary too, to hear JR say things like, uh, did he do that as a baby? And Lola would say, I don't know. Why are you asking me?
0: Yeah. Stuff. Yeah, and then the, the, the Lawler is a diddler sign that was in the, in the right across from the hard cameras. I tried to read all those signs cause they would try and get them up and then get them down quick was, well, that was the era of the fucked up signs, man. This is uh,
1: fresh off of Al Snow's ECW run. What does everybody want? Head. And he's in ECW with the head gimmick when he comes up with all that there but he's technically under WWF contract. How does he get called up? Talk us through that process.
0: Paul was done. I mean, Paul felt that he had done everything he could do with Al and just, he was like the head gimmick is a one-off gimmick that will never go mainstream. We did all that there is to do. You may have Mr. Snow back. I am finished. Good sir. I think Al and Paul really got along all that well and and Paul just was was done at that point.
1: All righty. We'll talk about it another time, I'm sure. Backstage we see Michael Cole with Kane and the Undertaker and Cole asks him, Which brother is going to take the fall and become champion? And Taker says, None of his business. And they've come to an understanding. And tonight you're going to see the total annihilation of Steve Austin. I don't think I've ever really appreciated just how large of a human being Kane is until recently, but next to huh. the undertaker here, he looks bigger
0: than ever. Kane's a big son of a bitch, man. Kane is fucking huge. And that's the same thing struck me. And it struck me actually in the, in the build up footage, whether it was, was heat or wherever it was, where they were in the ring and they went nose to nose and here you've got Kane looking down at taker, but more importantly, you know, for that visual takers kind of looking up at Kane and, and you're right, man, he's a big, big bastard and thick is hell too. So yeah, people underestimate the size of the big red machine. Go story. You
1: were talking about something
0: else right there. Let's talk
1: about Mark Merrill. Well, what? You know. a little angel you know. well, Max? You should just go ahead and text slam to 79, 79, 79. Well, let's talk about, um, the next match here. We've got Mark Merrill. Out with Jackie, and his opponent is Darren Drazdoff. I haven't seen a Drazdoff singles match in forever. These guys go five minutes and twelve seconds. Um, quarter star is the rating from Dave Meltzer. He would write place totally died, and um, not the best stuff here. Jackie comes off the top with her shoe on draws, <laughs> which with is not her shoe. Yes, yes but i'll tell you this and i know we've had a lot of fun with
0: marco barrow
1: that motherfucker could nail a shooting star press that
0: was the only thing good in the whole match yeah it was good though what'd you think i thought the shooting star press was good and i thought that the for all of my notes I went jackie came off the top with a fucking heel on Draz's head what was it jim cornett a goddamn heel motherfucker and it's a red shoe heel so that means it's a heels heel so it hurts even more motherfucker if you've got it in your hand and you come off the top rope with it
1: what was uh fun to me is jr on commentary saying that mark merrill was no longer a bad man which was fun for me
0: now he's just bad
1: yeah he is. Backstage, we see Michael Cole interviewing Bradshaw, who has cut his hair completely off here. I didn't even remember this. Uh, and he says, he didn't come to wrestle that fat bastard. He came here to fight. And tonight, you're going to find out, Vader, that it's survival of the fittest, not survival of the fattest. So, not the best line in the world, but man, when he comes through the curtain, Bradshaw in this era looked like a fucking badass. And I know we've talked about it before, but I really wanted them to do something with the new Blackjacks, with him and Barry Wyndham. I thought those were two badass, kick-ass motherfuckers that were just super believable. And this is probably the best Bradshaw looked in this era. And even Jr. said so on commentary that it's probably the best shape he's been in since he's been with the company. Uh, so he's here in the black tights, got the black uh, knee pads on, got the old Austin Hall style Barry Wyndham. Dusty Rhodes boots. And he has a fun match with Vader. I know a lot of people didn't love it because it only got a star and a half on the observer. But if you want to see two dudes trying to beat the fuck out of each other, that's what this one was.
0: Yeah. Well, you know what? Here's the deal. You go back. This has got what 20 years ago. Yeah. And, and look at, look at Layfield and he's all fucking just, been been in the gym and he's all clean, shaven, and pretty, got his pretty little haircut and everything going on. But you just I watched the match and I'm thinking, God, this is gonna suck.
1: Yeah, I think everybody but, sees Bradshaw Vader and think, oh fuck.
0: The match didn't suck. No. It was physical as fuck. The audience was silent. That's, for the whole match.
1: You know, that's exactly what Meltzer wrote and I know you never like when you guys agree, but he says another match with no crowd heat, but damn it was stiff. Now he does take a shot here. Brad Law, Bradshaw looks even less charismatic with his new haircut and shaved than he did before, and once the people saw him live, they began filing out in rapid order to the bathroom. So the match was killed before it even started. Bradshaw's offense is really stiff. Did I say that before? He mainly did Kawada style shotgun lariats and Bradshaw kicked out of Vader's Vader bomb. Vader kicked out of a sick lariat and then got clobbered by a second one. And Bradshaw got the pin after a neck breaker. It's amazing because even with the win, Bradshaw still, isn't going to get over Vader needed to go home months ago, because this is just ridiculous. Star and a half.
0: What kind of offense did he have?
1: Uh, stiff, really stiff. I I fucking loved it. Uh, You know, and I know that people are going to say that I'm a Homer because Bradshaw just did our show, but I've always loved that new blackjack stuff. And he's super believable here. If you like a Japanese style, this is Stan Hansen made over just murdering motherfuckers. They're throwing the big hardware around. They've got the steps involved. It's a no DQ false count anywhere match. They're doing some really interesting stuff. And obviously they didn't know really what they were doing with Vader. And if I was booking it, at the time, I probably would have had him pin Bradshaw after the Vader bomb, but I know you guys had sort of given up on him by this point. That ship has sailed. He's on his way
0: out of here, but those lariats, holy shit. That was, it was crazy. This was the type of match back in the day when people would say, oh, that wrestling, that phony bullshit. This is the match. You show them. Yes. Go so ahead. Here, yeah. Here's, here's some phony bullshit for you. Take a look at this shit motherfucker and tell me that that's phony. Because you can't poke holes in it. You can't. Uh, it's it's real life, man. And it was as snug as snug gets. And I thought that they had a, had a good match. I, I thought that John should have pinned him right after the the last Larry instead of picking him up for the neckbreaker. But it was what it was. And it was a decent match, which really shocked the living shit out of me. But I thought John looked great in the thing. And it was kind of a coming out party a little bit for him. But. It would still take still, even after that, uh, still take a few years before you get JBL out of that.
1: You know, that's, what's funny is, you know, I wasn't a big Justin Hawk Bradshaw fan. I wasn't ever really a big acolyte fan. I didn't particularly love the APA. I know I'm just a asshole for saying all that, but I thought the JBL character, like when he would come out with, um, the hand sanitizer. After he shook everybody's hands at ringside, I thought it was fucking tremendous. And then this version of of JBL or Bradshaw rather, when he's still sort of that new Blackjack. Hey, I'm just a Texan and I'm gonna fuck your shit up. It's very, it's very Stan Hansen. I love it. And and I, maybe it's because I my first exposure to Stan Hansen was when he was just like running through Lex Luger in WCW, and I was just like that dude's a badass. And this is sort of reminiscent of that to me. So I loved this match.
0: Hey, he is a badass, <laughs> and it was, it was, it was good. But we never really got that personality of John, uh, for for many years, and finally got the, you know, you got a bit of it with the APA. I love the APA, and uh, but JBL was something that that's closer to who John Layfield is than anything.
1: Backstage, we see Kevin Kelly with your brother and Jason Sensation, and they're doing some WWF.com work, and Jason's doing a bunch of imitations. And Jason's a listener to the show and, and I appreciated what he did on raw, but there's no way Vince McMahon enjoyed this segment.
0: Well, look, Jason was one talented son of a gun. He, his Owen heart was the best that's, that's ever been. Uh, I didn't know who the hell he was doing when he was doing rock on this one. I thought that was terrible. Jarrett. I didn't know who he was doing there. Had to go back and figure that out. But his undertaker, you could close your eyes and that was undertaker. And his road dog was good, but it was, I, I try to limit like all my shit. I don't do imitations. I do caricatures. So my shit doesn't have to be good. (laughs) I don't care. He did imitations and the stuff that he did well, nobody could touch him. And his own heart was some of the best that, uh, that there ever was. You could close your eyes and his undertaker. You could close your eyes and be there, but, um, was what it was. And just get that plug in by God.
1: How about this for a match on pay-per-view Dilo Brown Ooh. pins gang in seven minutes and 50 seconds. Melzer would write another dead match. He gives it a quarter star. Uh, Mark Henry comes out and the finish sees Mark Henry pull the ropes down and gang Who's been working the match as a face. Although really nobody reacts that way. Cause he's a fucking vampire drinking blood takes a bump over then Henry slams Gangrell into the post and Brown pins him after his high power bomb and after the match, Gangrell spit the blood or whatever it was in Henry's face and uses implant DDT on Brown star no, sorry, quarter star. I love D'Lo Brown. I ain't got nothing for Gangrell. happy to never see this match again. What'd you think?
0: My exact comments were well. Gangrel had a cool entrance. <laughs> <laughs> what, what I actually wrote down, yeah. Um, by the way, is that alrighty? Then is
1: that one of Jim Johnston's best songs? Do You think?
0: Gangrel, the, yeah. the 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 vampire one. Yeah, loved it. Yeah.
1: No, I agree. Well, certainly one of his very best. Uh, let's keep it rolling here. Let's talk about um, the recap. Of Kane and Undertaker's assault on Rocky, Mankind, and Shamrock from Raw. And that brings us to Michael Cole interviewing Shamrock. And Cole asks him how far he's going to go to win this match. And Ken says he came here to be the champion and nothing else matters because tonight he's going to take his frustration out on Rocky and Mankind. And then Doc, our boy, Doot Doot, interviews The Rock. And of course he says he could give two pieces of monkey crap about his frustrations next up, Kevin Kelly talks to mankind. And this is maybe the most interesting interview <laughs> of mankind's career. Would you
0: argue that? Oh no, because I, I, no, I thought it was absolutely positively fantabulous. And when he talks about the president, you know, sacrificing the nation for a girl that he would have turned down in high school, um,
1: a huge pop from the crowd.
0: And uh, I mean, just silly, silly stuff. So earlier in, in the podcast, you'd asked me about Ken Shamrock. Yeah. And I'm one of Ken Shamrock's biggest fans. And I feel that Kenny could have been a, a huge top star possibly in a different era. And I think that Ken had an an awful lot of tools, but when you say, why wasn't Ken Shamrock at that same level, go back and watch these interviews back to back to back and you, and it, and it just screams at you because you go from Kenny to rock to Mick and Kenny wasn't even in their league when it came to the promos.
1: Isn't that on you guys though? You could have given him a mouthpiece. You know, there are so many great no. guys who, who drew big money who didn't have to be super strong promos.
0: I, I get that. But again, I'm just saying, forget about what he said. And forget about all that. Just presence and personality and charisma in the, from those three all had different deliveries. But that was when you put him in there, that's what he was up against at every level. And then you go over to Austin and everybody else that was in that same, same time. There were so over the top personalities that I don't think that Ken's personality was going to resonate with the audience at that time when there were so many larger than life personalities. And again, I'm a shamrock fan. Well, listen, you've got him
1: between the rock who we know is super charismatic, but this mankind promo, not only does he make the Monica Lewinsky joke, but he also talks about how the biggest joke of all is the people's elbow and says something like, you think I'd sell that abortion on a pay-per-view, which is just tremendous. There's no way yeah. Shamrock can compete. By the way, talk about an outdated wrestling term. That's one that's been gone for a long time. Is it not the word abortion. the word abortion?
0: Oh God. Yeah. It, it never really should have been in there. That's just kind of about as lowbrow, and, and I still use it, <laughs> I mean, no, but I know. it's about as low brow as you get.
1: But I mean, listen, it, it was a big part for a long time. So I understand, I guess we should, we've done this before, but explain to everybody in this context, because it doesn't mean nearly what you think it does, what the word abortion means relative to wrestling, which as we said, is basically at this point abolished and no one uses
0: the drizzling shit. Something that was so fucking bad it never should have taken place. That's what abortion means in the wrestling business. Fucking horrible. The drizzling fucking shits. If you've ever had the drizzling shits, you know what I'm talking about. Drizzling shits is a wrestling word, too. Yeah. What do you think? It's I- not just the shits. This is drizzling shit. How do you think helped
1: get drizzling shits
0: over? Is there a guy? Uh- I don't know. My brother, Tom is the one that got it over with me more than anything. That was his thing. Everything was drizzling shits. Huh.
1: Well, what was not the drizzling shits is the triple threat here. The rock is going to win a God. triple threat over mankind and Ken Shamrock. Oh, oh,
0: I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Conrad. I fucking, because I made it a big note. I thought it was for the match itself. The other part of Mick Foley's promo that was so great. And you probably don't even know who this is, but a shout out to training in the museum of Spaceman Frank Hickey. You don't know who that is, do you? No. Spaceman Frank Hickey was an old-time wrestler that was from the carny. He was from the carnival, and he traveled all around. He did a lot up in New York. He ended up in Tennessee. But he was the carny of all carnies, and the stereotypical journeyman wrestler, but he was a gimmick and a half. And when Mick did the shout-out to Frank Man, to Spaceman Frank Hickey, to me that that made the interview the best thing in the whole wide world. And kids out there, do your research. Go and look up Spaceman Frank Hickey because he was the epitome of the wrestling business back in the day and used to do every time that he would go in for a backdrop, he would call, backdrop, and he would go into the backdrop and go, shoot me to the moon because he always wanted to be the guy in the cannon at the circus being shot out of the cannon. That's, and then he was a spaceman and he wore a spaceman outfit and was one of the most colorful characters never heard of in our business. So there you go.
1: Crowd was totally for Rocky here. And at the beginning, they didn't seem to react much to Shamrock, but the crowd eventually gets with it, uh, as it goes on. Um, nobody really buys that Shamrock is going to win with an ankle lock on mankind, but there is a huge pop when Maya via uses the float over DDT on Shamrock, that's all directly from the observer. But then here's this line biggest pop of the show was the people's elbow spot. That's amazing to me that it's become like this almost no, you won't sort of deal in the back and it gets over so huge that in a match where you've got all this talent, the silly people's elbow is the thing people want to see the most.
0: What you call them silly that, the, that damn people's elbow beat more, more people than just about any, Beat more people than a figure four. I'm just
1: saying it's interesting to me. You're about to have a guy climb the cage. Because by the way, this may be the only time we saw, or maybe not the only time, but the last time, rather one of the last times for sure that we saw big blue up there, the big blue cage that I grew up on with Hulk Hogan and the ultimate warrior and all the big boss man and all those guys that I grew up with it's back here, but it's got the silver trust that you're probably familiar with from the WWF in this era on the top of it. And that's there. So mankind can launch himself off the damn thing like the famous bump that we've all heard him talk about with Jimmy Superfly Snuka jumping off the top of the cage in his match with Don Morocco at Madison Square Garden back in 83. Well, he comes off and misses and it gets a reaction. But the fucking people's elbow gets a bigger one. That's like that to me tells you everything you need to know about wrestling. Physical stunts are awesome and they're impressive and they can leave an impression but at the end of the day, the thing that got the bigger reaction is the people's elbow, which is really just crowd interaction, right?
0: Entertainment. It's entertainment. And to be clear, the reason the truss was up there was so that we could fly the cage, not for Mick to to stand up there. It was so that we could actually hang the cage and, and fly the cage, which made it easier to do so that you had it all in one piece. But it was mixed bump from the top to me spectacular as hell. I, I still love that missing the elbow and going through, through the whole match and what everybody, you know, missed. And I don't know if Jr was trying to tell his own story, but Jr was trying to tell the story. Like Mick Foley didn't even know what was going on at the ring. When Mick stopped at the top of the cage, midway and his ca- uh, crawled down to watch rock pin shamrock and then went down but it was a it was a great match uh i thought that they guys those guys busted their ass and it was a hell of a cage match but it was um like you say man they rock was a fucking heel but they popped for everything he did three and a half stars
1: is what this one gets and uh people are all about it here huge reaction and um the rock ultimately gets the pin on ken shamrock here after a chair shot for mankind but mankind is still trying to come down the cage and as you said he waits until rock makes the pin and then jumps down and then raises his hand as if he won you don't see a lot of triple threat cage matches before or after but three and a half stars i thought it was pretty good what'd you think
0: yeah i thought it was real good man i thought they told a hell of a good story and that's hard to do a triple threat match inside of a cage it may have been the first one that we ever did but that was it's just difficult to do. If you can't get rid of a guy on the outside, it's hard to get small inside of a cage. They pulled it off and told a hell of a story. And in the end, <laughs> your heel wins and everybody's happy.
1: Next up, we got Val Venus who pins Dustin Runnels in nine minutes and nine seconds. Of course, Runnels is still doing the, um, he is coming. He has risen savior of WWE religious aspect of a character here, whereas Val Venis is still the fucking porn star and he brings out Terry Runnels, who is wearing some pretty revealing blue negligee. This is the former Marlena and Meltzer would write Terry Runnels looked like a washed up porn star, although she looked a lot better the next night on raw, despite how great this angle is between the two. Once they start wrestling, there was no heat at all. Venus, even on TV, gets great heat for his ring entrance, but very little for his wrestling. And Runnels gimmick is dead, but it's almost over anyway. Runnels worked harder than he's done of late, but even though he's only 29, he's taken so much punishment from so many years in. He's a lot slower and less mobile and has fallen greatly from his working prime, which in reality was many years ago. What'd you think of this match? He did not like it. He being Dave Meltzer, pronouns pal. He gave it three quarters of a star. And, uh, as I guess we should mention here, Venus reverses a superplex and drops Austin face first on the apron. And then Venus and Terry start making out Reynolds comes back with a bulldog. And for whatever reason, Venus forgets to kick out and the ref has to sort of hold up the count. Eventually Venus wins with a power slam and the money shot finisher three quarters of a star. What say you?
0: I thought the match was solid. It was, Okay, but I was kind of bored. I didn't care, and, and that's just going back all these years. I'm watching it. There wasn't any extra energy. There wasn't any the, – the guys went through the motions. And yep. The guys had a good, solid match, but to me it felt like they were going through the motions, and on the – Val didn't kick out. Well, I actually did get his shoulder up, and it wasn't at a horrible – it was a freaking horrible camera angle, and the people that were watching – the screens and that couldn't see from the referee's point of view thought that he didn't kick out. So it, it made for, uh, you know, people to go bullshit and anytime something like that. When, when you try to get too cute with your kickouts and you try to get too cute with getting out of a pin, sometimes it backfires. And in this particular instance, that backfired where it, it looked like shit. Yeah. He did get his shoulder up, but it just looked like shit. The match was good, but they were just going through the motions. There wasn't a lot of emotion in it.
1: Oh man. X-Pac and the new age outlaws are up next and they beat Jeff Jira and Dennis Knight and Mark Canterbury in 11 minutes and 15 seconds. Of course, Dennis Knight and Mark Canterbury here, Southern justice. Uh, there's really not a lot of, uh, heat from the crowd. There is a fight in the crowd that gets everybody's attention. And Meltzer would write, JR was trying like crazy to get Gun over as the best athlete in the WWF, although I've got no idea what he's ever done in or out of the ring to garner their praise, other than they're trying to push him as a single star because they are short singles heels. Um, Jarrett brings in a guitar, Gunn gets it, the ref gets it. Eventually, Canterbury clotheslines X-Pac over the top, and Jarrett gets the guitar from the ref and clocks X-Pac with it. And X-Pac is selling it like he got a splinter in the eye in the ring gun pins night with a rocker dropper star in three quarters. What say you?
0: Well, they tried hard. I just wasn't, uh, you know, it, it felt like a mishmash and, and unfortunately for whatever reason that, that whole Jarrett Southern justice thing never clicked. I don't think that it was a good combination. I liked, I like, always liked Henry Godwin and I thought Phineas was a force when we brought him in and then to try and dress him up in suits just didn't work for me. They they still you could dress him up but you can't I don't know what that saying is but you can't take him out. I don't know what what the hell I'm trying to say other than it didn't work and it didn't feel take, right. You can
1: you can you can take the country girl out of the country but you can't take the country out of the girl out or of the girl. whatever. Yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah. And I think that's what it was. With me, um, as far as Billy Gunn being the greatest athlete in the WWF, uh, he probably was. And, and Billy was, you know, got a scholarship, a rodeo scholarship to Sam Houston State. Uh, incredible athlete. I, th- that's what, you know, hearing some of those comments from Meltzer just goes up my ass sideways because it's, he has no clue and he doesn't do the next step to try and figure out, well, why would you say that? And Jim, on the other hand, would was enamored with guys that had the college education had that college pedigree and loved to bring that up and billy gunn was man he was he was a shoot probably one of the best athletes in the locker room
1: no doubt about it i can't argue that but this match did feel like it was uh as you said earlier just sort of going through the motions passing time yeah individually i think these guys are bigger stars than collectively which is kind of weird to say But I think the new age outlaws, I prefer separate from X-Pac and same, you know, with Jeff Jarrett and the God ones here.
0: No heat, no heat at all. Just no, it was a match for a match. It was a match to kill some time on the pay-per-view. Let's talk about our main event.
1: Uh, This is going to be why everybody's here. This is what they were focusing on and selling the pay-per-view. And it's Steve Austin taking on The Undertaker and Kane. They're going to go 22 minutes and three seconds. What'd you think of the match?
0: Well, dude, I thought that they had a hell of a match. You know, I thought they told a really good story with Taker and Kane kind of which one is going to beat Austin. So while you take away undertaker, being able to defeat Kane or Kane being able to defeat undertaker, you make it so that, okay. The only person you can defeat in this match to win the match is stone cold. Steve Austin. And Austin, I guess, can be the guy, but still. You tell now the story, which one's going to do it? And that was, to me, the basis of this match and how they told the story. I thought they told a great story all the way throughout the match with those subtle hints, getting to the end when Taker was saving Kane. Kane I mean, uh, Taker was saving Austin, Kane was saving Austin so that they would be the ones to actually defeat him and win the championship. Uh, they battled all over the goddamn building and had you know the Stooges and Sarge and everybody. Oh my God, Sergeant Slaughter! What what's he doing in there? Kick kicking Austin in the head. Hey, real, real brave, Sarge, uh, Commissioner. Uh, it was I thought it was a hell of a match and it, and it was better than I, I another one where I wasn't all that excited going back watching. This match was good
1: no doubt about it uh two and a quarter stars is the score that Meltzer gives it but it's probably because of the finish you know he's pretty famous for not liking clean finishes and this while we do have a pin you got Kane on one side Undertaker on the other and it's a who it. McMahon orders that the belt be brought to him and it's Steve Austin's smoking skull belt the personalized world championship and The show goes off the air as McMahon is jumping in a car with Austin's belt. And Austin is furious that he's lost his title, but we don't really know who the champion is, but we know it's not Steve Austin. So it's a cliffhanger for a pay-per-view
0: in, in theory, good idea, bad idea, Bruce. Oh my God. I thought it was ingenious. I, I, that part I loved, I, I enjoyed taking the title off of Steve with both guys. Beating him at the same time, and now who's your champion? I like the intrigue like that. It was an interesting way to get where they needed to go. Vince had guaranteed Steve wasn't going to leave with the championship that night, and they delivered on that guarantee. Well, let's, um,
1: I guess we should mention that the storyline continues the next night. Another sellout over 14,500 fans, over $300,000 at the gate, and we're starting the show off with Mr. McMahon saying, Unlike last time when Austin lost the title, this time there will be no rematch. And he put the belt around his waist and said he'd announce the, sh- the new champ later in the show. And he's got a, f- a ton of police guarding the back door to make sure that Austin doesn't show up and attack him. And then later, he comes out with the Stooges, and Austin shows up on a Zamboni and drives it from outside the building as the cops scatter left and right and then he gets all the way to the ring and then jumps off the Zamboni with a clothesline on McMahon and finally the police handcuff him and took him away McMahon is going nuts what a famous moment this was in WWF history for him to drive a Zamboni to the ring and i think a lot of people probably forget that it was the night after this pay-per-view whose idea was the Zamboni
0: it was Vince's idea because he wanted Steve to make a grand entrance on something that was stone cold esque and different. Looking around the building, you know, we talked about uh forklifts, talked about a truck, talked about a lot of different things, and there's this Zamboni sitting there. And he's like, God damn, what if he came in on a Zamboni? It was it was a spur of the moment thing, walking by and seeing that Zamboni there, finding people to Shows how to use the damn thing and drive it. Uh, What people don't know is that when you see Steve coming through those curtains there and all that shit, all that had been cleared away and the only person and thing left behind that curtain was my happy ass. But Steve couldn't see me because of the curtains. Not only that, he had gone through another set of curtains and the curtains were blinding him. So he had curtains on his head, he couldn't see where he's going, and he's gunning the Zamboni, trying to get the thinking the shit's gonna fly off of him. And I'm pinned up against the wall. He hits the table and I go up against the wall. And I thought seriously, I thought I was gonna die right then and there. I thought he was gonna crash into the wall, taking me into the into the wall as well, and we wouldn't be doing this podcast today. Well, I'm glad. But he turned at the last minute.
1: He had, he liked to turn at the last minute. Yeah. So let's talk about it. My man comes back out later with the uh, undertaker and Kane blames them both for not protecting him from Austin because they didn't hold up their end of the deal. So he's not going to hold up his. So now they've got to wrestle at the next pay-per-view and Austin is the ref. The winner is going to be the champion. Then he orders them in a two on three handicap match later tonight against shamrock and mankind and the rock. And then he calls Kane physically defective and Undertaker mentally defective, and he flips them off behind their back. But Taker turns around and they destroy him. And uh, it's the same way they injured both Animal and Blackman, and they uh, destroy his ankle with the ring steps. So after this, we start to see Vince coming out in a wheelchair for a while after this. So lots of interesting stuff happened on this show but I think what's most memorable about the show is maybe the next night with the Zamboni looking back after all these years, Bruce, where would you rank the, uh, the breakdown pay-per-view is the
0: show overall. I, I average at best. I, I wasn't overly impressed with the show, right? When I was done, I go, oh, goddamn, that was a great show. I didn't think it was a great show. I thought it was an average show. It was okay. But as far as the overall story, it just was another chapter in the Mr. McMahon stones, cold, Steve Austin saga that needed to be done and, and got us where we, where we needed to be. And I thought it was a cool way to get there with the finish of the last match with Taker and Kane, both going over.
1: Let's do some rapid fire questions here. We asked if you had questions for us about in your house, breakdown, and we did that at Pritchard show on Twitter. If you'd like to ask some questions for next week, which is going to be all about Carlito, then take the Twitter right now at Pritchard show and fire those questions down. Uh, Jason wants to know at this point in time, did anybody know that Kane had an interest in politics of any sort?
0: <laughs> I don't know if Kane knew that he had an interest in politics at, at that time. He was uh, very well read and extremely bright, but I had no idea he was interested in politics. I don't think he knew. James wants to know what was the plan for Flash Funk
1: and why did you guys transition him to Scorpio?
0: I think Flash Funk had run its course and Russo changed him to Scorpio, trying to get something out of him. We weren't getting anything out of the Flash Funk character. And when you're not doing that, repackage, go away, learn a new hold. And you get Scorpio stories you could share with us. No, not really, other than, you know, I saw Scorpio do a, a shoot interview or something. I didn't see the whole interview. All I saw was a very short portion of his recollection of how he was in the room when the Montreal screw job took place and how high he was and so on and so forth. Um he wasn't there. <laughs> so I mean, he must have been really high to to come up with that story. So that entertained the hell out of me, but no, not, I don't really have any Scorpio story off the top of my head. Uh, Bob
1: wants to know the night after breakdown, the old winged Eagle belt made an appearance in the glass case. Why was that used and not the newer big Eagle belt? Austin had been using the smoking skull before losing.
0: It's probably just whatever one they brought from the office. I doubt, I doubt very seriously. There was very much consideration given to that.
1: I'm sure it was just, Hey, what's on the truck right. Just whatever's there. Yeah. Uh, Jay wants to know why did WWE stop running Hamilton after this? They got a few house shows and a TV or two, but this is a historic building for WWE history and no more pay-per-views,
0: but they did TV. I mean, I, again, you got 12 pay-per-views a year. So in plus going to Canada was an expensive proposition and that's probably the main reason.
1: Hooray wants to know if Austin was the guy, why did he not have a long continuous reign?
0: I don't think he needed to have a long continuous reign. He did have a, he did have a long continuous reign, is the guy with or without the championship. And the chase and is better, right? Yes. I mean, Hell you, yeah.
1: you want your babyface chasing for the title. You need a heel champ. And I know that you would say historically this is a babyface territory, but typically in wrestling, you've got a quote unquote chicken shit heel like Rick Flair is champion. And he just keeps barely escaping. And your local hero is chasing for the belt, right?
0: Well, old school. I mean, that's to me, that's usually the best way. But again, in the Northeast, they, they did it differently and it worked for them having the, having the hero. But I just thought that again, Steve was still the top guy had a hell of a run. What do you think about this being
1: one of Vader's final pay-per-view performances?
0: Well, you know what? it was nice with the match with Bradshaw because I thought that Vader held his own in there and they beat the shit out of each other. They gave and they took. So for Leon to go out like that, I thought was, was better than, than not. To be
1: clear. Um, this was his, his last pay-per-view with the WWE. Uh, he would wrestle on Sunday night heat in his last televised match, which would be on October 11th. And his last in-ring match was October 25th, at least for the WWE in Madison square garden against mankind and Ken Shamrock. Vader was one of our first episodes where we did heavy, heavy research and we went all in, uh, in a way that we hadn't prior. So if you haven't in a while, or maybe you never have, you should go check out the Vader episode in our archives.
0: Adam he wants through to- coffee in his good.
1: eye. That's for Shuley Shuley's favorite part ever. Adam wants to know, what are Bruce's thoughts on Austin's world title here? Of course, he's referring to what we belt marks refer to as the smoking skull belt.
0: I loved it. I thought it was great. And even then I thought for marketing purposes, it was a hell of an idea. And I liked, if you have a personality like that, I frankly would have changed the belts for every single guy that was champion. But then again. Okay. I say that. Now I'm going to contradict the hell out of myself and go back to I loved when the championship meant something and that, that's what you were after. Um, and my favorite belt is the old NWA belt that Luthez, Gene Kaniski, Dory Funk, and Jack, well, Harley Race originally won.
1: Let's, uh, let's ask a good question here from Karen. At this point, was Deadly Game which is of course the tagline for survivor series, 1998, was it already planned? Did you already know in September, we're going to do a tournament in November because the belt's going to go vacant here and stay that way really until survivor series.
0: I believe we did. And, and I wasn't on the day to day creative, but I believe from my recollection at that time that we did know we were going to the tournament.
1: We joked on the show here, uh, this episode of In Your House Breakdown, you would see people talk about sugar-coated testes and the Rock and Mankind promos. Chat me up here. This is from Sergio. Hypothetically, what do you think old Jim Cornette would say about these sugar-coated
0: testes? I don't like my testes with sugar on the coating. I like salty testes, motherfucker, with double mayo and extra onion. Motherf- oh shit they can't see that you're starting to talk i shouldn't let you talk before i hit you with the motherfucker. So i could see you and i knew you was gonna talk so that's why i went motherfucker so i'm sorry
1: no it's fine that's motherfucker thank you. thank you uh in hindsight do you think you guys should have just stuck with Golduster in during this era
0: oh boy um hindsight's always 2020. 20, yes. You know, probably so. I don't think that the Dustin character and that whole religious stuff was, was good at all. I don't think it worked. There was nowhere. They had nowhere to go with it and they didn't go anywhere with it. So, um, hindsight. Yeah. Probably should have stuck with gold dust.
1: What did you think of uh, McMahon's middle finger to close the show? We got lots of comments that maybe he gives an odd middle finger.
0: <laughs> I, I don't know what's a normal middle finger i,
1: I like this oh, that's a normal one like but that? no but vince like puts his all of his fingers forward and like the middle one back
0: I, okay i'm I just I'm,
1: I'm just reading the questions you fuck
0: hey, well, d- d- whoever asked that question i don't fucking know what's wrong with <laughs> <ladies>. god damn <laughs> what the <fuck> <laughs> man god damn it <laughs> Why the fuck are you having your finger go up and back and walk right in the fuck?
1: That's what I needed. I needed a little meltdown like that. It took me a while to I get mean, one.
0: This is fucking Christ. Hey, here, here, here's a, oh God, I keep forgetting. They can't.
1: Okay. Let me ask you this. Did you ever see Vince McMahon flip anybody off in real life? He drove like a maniac. So it no. feels like at some point
0: no i i really can't say that i ever i ever did okay
1: well that's gonna do it this week for us here on something to wrestle this weekend uh or i guess by the time you're hearing this there's new bonus episodes up right now on patreon patreon.com forward slash something to wrestle if you'd like to check them out and we'll be back here same bat time same bat channel with carlito which is a a new school character, somebody from a newer generation that we haven't really talked about before. I'm looking forward to this one. You should be, too, and we'll see you right here next weekend.
0: Well, hang on. You can't go anywhere yet without asking everybody why in the hell. Just why in the hell is it okay? You guys to be lazier, softer, and fatter, Conrad. I don't get it. We need to bring the men of this country back to greatness.
1: I got an idea. Why don't you text SLAM to 797979 and you're going to get your first 30 day supply of Ageless Mail Max for free. Just pay for your shipping and handling. Text the word SLAM right now to 797979 and you get a free 30 day supply. A whole month right now. Just pay your shipping at 797979. Just text the word SLAM. You'll be glad you did. And don't forget, to skip my bachelor party like Bruce Pritchard and Dave Silva and instead go have dinner right up the road here in Nashville, Tennessee and I'm sure they'll have details of where you'll be able to catch them here in Huntsville on October 13th um, <laughs> they'll be doing a meet and greet down at the goddamn oh, Wendy's God Cassio Kidd will be your MC it will it should be something to see
0: that sounds like a hell of an idea yeah, yeah.
1: Uh, you find out who your friends are in moments like
0: these so <laughs>
1: see you guys next weekend in nashville i mean i won't be there for saturday's meet and greet and eat and greet and dirty dozen and whatever bruce is trying to philander out of you but i will be there at zany's and i'm coming to see you kowloon uh, pick up your tickets right now at brucepritchard.com we'll see you next week right here with carlito